thank you, Daniel. Uh, and before I start, I've got to say, um, uh, when Daniel comes up here and says uh, that he's got a limited voice and then sings a song like that, <coughs> uh, it makes me wonder what kind of voice I have. So <coughs> I don't know if you're the same. Um, but I'd like to thank Daniel and Terry uh, for giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, it's been good to have gone through the Living by the Book study uh, recently, which we would have heard about uh, with some of the men from the church. And what I have learned there has been very useful in preparing uh, for this message today. Uh, preaching this morning is a learning experience for me, uh, probably more than I learned in that whole study, potentially. Um, and I've already learned a lot in the lead up to this morning. Uh, so today I'm going to begin a study in the book of Colossians. Uh, with the mind of continuing this study in the months to come as I have opportunity to preach, whether that's the fifth Sunday of every month. I'm not sure. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) It goes without saying that the study I've done in this book has already been immensely helpful and encouraging to me, and I hope to be able to convey some of that to you. Uh, So you can turn in your Bibles to Colossians in chapter 1. And as you do turn there, I'll give a little background to the book uh, of Colossians. So this book is actually a letter written by Paul to the church at Colossae. Paul wrote it during his time in prison, (coughs) about the same time as he wrote the book of Ephesians. The city itself isn't particularly noteworthy. Uh, It was about 160 kilometres inland from Ephesus and contained a trade route (coughs) which somewhat linked the east and the west. Uh, This brought about many different Eastern philosophies and doctrines being cultivated, and this, coupled with the large Jewish colony present there, made for fertile ground for religious speculations and heresies. And there's a whole lot more to this place uh, and time of the book, uh, but we'll leave it at that for now. And with these in mind, we'll read Colossians in chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Well, just looking at that and reading it, it seems uh, like a bit of a run-on sentence, Uh, It's perhaps in the English, the grammar and structure is a bit hard to follow and understand, uh, but that's because the Bible wasn't written in English, uh, which hopefully most of us know. Uh, But in the Greek, Paul uh, wrote, this is uh, basically one sentence. Uh, It's only in our translation that uh, we try and make the best of what uh, we have in the Greek. So as we begin uh, this passage, there are a few people and terms which must be recognised in order to give us a fuller understanding of what we're actually reading. Uh, So I think we're all familiar with Paul, who's uh, mentioned in verse 1, and his works. He was a remarkable man with a unique background and conversion. It was largely his efforts which saw the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. 
Uh, in his introduction, he starts with his name, as was the ancient custom. He then describes his authority as, uh, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle not being simply a messenger, uh, but has the idea of a, uh, an ambassador of a king, uh, whose words and actions uh, were a complete reflection of the king's. And interestingly, the treatment of the ambassador was also as if against the king directly. Uh, and we read about Paul who realised this, uh, that the way he was being treated was a reflection of the way they would treat Christ or had treated Christ. Uh, Paul then states how he gained his apostleship. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, not by the will of a man or society or even of his own will, but by the will of God. And what better authority for Paul to be working and living under and what better authority for us? Uh, it's a real encouragement and strength to be able to say uh, day to day that as Christians we live, work and have salvation by the will of God. And yet we forget. <clears throat> the next person mentioned, uh, also in verse number one, is Timothy, our brother. Timothy is also mentioned in the introductions of Second Corinthians, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon being noted as the companion of Paul. <clears throat> Timothy had ministered to Paul for many years and was, according to 1 Corinthians 4.17, his true child in the faith. It was Timothy that Paul wrote his final letter to and passed on the mantle of his leadership. Philippians 2.19-22 gives an insight into how Paul regarded his friend Timothy, uh, which says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Uh, so that verse sums up how uh, Paul felt towards Timothy uh, and the encouragement that he had been to him. Uh, the third person mentioned uh, in these verses in, is in verse number six, uh, which is Epaphras. Epaphras was at least, at the least, an eminent teacher in the church of Colossae and possibly the founder of it. And at this time he is in Rome with Paul and later mentioned in Philemon where Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. And the final people uh, mentioned in these verses, one to eight, are the subject of the book and that is found in verse number two, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So the Colossian church was an outgrowth of Paul's ministry, although he had never visited there. It was in danger of falling into the culture of the city of Colossae, the culture from which the Christians there had come out from, mostly paganism and Judaism. Uh, Paphras had seen this danger creeping up and decided it serious enough to make the 2,000-kilometre journey to Paul in Rome. Paul then wrote the letter that we have today as a preventative to those dangers. The Colossian heresy contained two basic elements uh, which we'll look at. Uh, the first was false Greek philosophy and the second Judaistic legalism and ceremonialism. So the former is based in the Greeks who, uh, as we know, loved knowledge and had great pride in their philosophical systems. To them the gospel was too simple. Uh, and it claimed salvation, or, or they claimed salvation was through Christ plus knowledge. They had alleged visions which gave them a deeper insight, and this line of thinking resulted in the foundation 
of Gnosticism in the second century, uh, which we had probably heard of. Their beliefs at this time were, in summary, that God is good, but matter is evil. God could therefore not have created matter, so a lesser being did, or a lesser version of God. Jesus was also one of these lesser beings. Uh, Demons formed a barrier between God and man, and the way to break through was by superior knowledge and the help of these lesser beings or lesser versions of God. They believed that Christ was not human, as matter was evil. They also denied Christ was God. He was simply a lesser being or a lesser version of God. Overall, they denied the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. And this was the first part of what Paul had to address in his letter. And thankfully, the church through history has learnt from this and never had a problem with the sufficiency of Christ for salvation again. No, that's not true, uh, as you know, unfortunately. Uh, It's as present in our culture uh, and churches today as ever, and it's just as important for our church to be aware of today as it was the church of Colossae. Uh, The second element of heresy that I mentioned facing the church of Colossae, which Paul needed to address, was that of Jewish ceremonialism. This taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation, and similar to the Greek philosophy, this was denying the sufficiency of Christ. Now, they also advocated asceticism, which was the rigid self-denial and harsh treatment of the body. Another aspect of this heresy was an emphasis on the keeping of Jewish dietary laws and observing holy days such as the Sabbath, festivals and the new moon. So it was this mixture of Greek philosophy and Jewish legalism which Epaphras brings to Paul and in turn Paul addresses in this letter to the Colossian church. Uh, The predominant theme of the book therefore is the sufficiency of Christ as found in chapter 3 verse 2, Christ is all and in all. This is the context from which we read and understand the book of Colossians. So Paul writes verses 3 to 8, uh, which we'll look at now, as thanksgiving for the Colossian church. He doesn't puff them up, but instead he thanks God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for their faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is the assurance that something is true and to trust in it. Uh, Biblical faith is defined in Hebrews 11 verse 1, uh, which we will all be aware of and says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Colossian church had faith, and not just faith, but they had the object of their faith in Christ Jesus, which is saving faith. The outworking of this faith was the love that they had for all saints. Genuine faith will inevitably inevitably lead to a changed life, and one of these changes, uh, which is mentioned here, is a love for the saints. As it says in John 13, verse 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now the love we show each other is more than just the emotion, uh, but we show godly love when we sacrifice ourselves to meet the needs of another Do people know that we are the disciples of Christ by the way we love each other? Sacrificing ourselves for another person is not a natural occurrence, but its source is found in verse number 5, which says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
Faith and hope are inseparably linked. We believe and so we hope. Paul describes the hope as laid up for you in heaven. Laid up meaning in store or reserved and is spoken of in 1 Peter 1.4 which says, An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you or laid up in heaven for you. This is the inheritance that we hope in. Verse number five reads, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. The gospel which came to them through Epaphras was likewise continuing throughout the world via many different people and has continued to until today. It was not merely a cult to rise and fall in the Roman Empire like so many others, but it was and is the good news for today. Verse number six. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. It is clear that true faith in God does not remain stagnant. It brings about love for the brethren, it gives us a hope, and it bears fruit and increases. This was true of the Colossian church, and it is true of us. Whether through a preacher or a friend or family, we heard and increased the gospel when we were saved by grace through faith in Christ. Grace, which is mentioned in verse 6, is the heart of the gospel and what contrasts true Christianity to so many other religions that teach a man can save himself with good works. It is clearest in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which says, It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 7 says just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow servant he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit salvation is by God's grace alone but God has made it our privilege and great responsibility to be channels of his grace a powerful verse which sums this up is Romans 10 verse 14 which says How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Epaphras was willing to take the gospel back with him to Colossae and tell those who would listen, resulting in many being saved and a church forming. I believe that Epaphras, having heard the gospel preached by Paul and believing on it, did not have to force himself to tell those he cared about back in Colossae. Rather, he couldn't help but share the good news with them as it had transformed his life. And likewise, our endeavour to reach those around us should be rooted in our own experience of the saving grace of God. Uh, In verses 1 to 8, we see Paul thanking God for the Colossian church. Firstly, for their faith in Christ Jesus, for their love for the saints, for their hope, which is laid up in heaven. And one of the challenges that I would like to finish with is this. If Paul was to write to our church at Alexandra, what about us would he thank God for? Would our faith in Christ Jesus be noteworthy? Would our self-sacrificing love for one another be made mention of? Uh, Paul didn't thank God for the variety the Colossian church had at their church lunches, or for how efficiently they managed their church finances, but for their faith, their love, and their hope. Uh, We as individuals make up the church and therefore we must ask ourselves, 
do we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ? And does your faith give you a hope for an inheritance reserved for you in heaven as a child of God? In all these things and the lives we live, do we have the self-sacrificing love of God? I'll finish by reading a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Even though no one's getting married today, we can still read 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, which says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love.